I don't know who needs to hear this, but your work matters. Why? Let's talk about it with Jordan Rayner on Steve Brown, etc. He's an old white guy, an author, broadcaster, and seminary professor who's sick of religion. And he's brought friends. Please welcome Steve Brown, etc. And we're so glad you're here. I say it all the time, and I mean it all the time. You always have a place at our table. And in case you're wondering, I'm Steve, the aforementioned old white guy. Matthew Porter is here, and after a huge Thanksgiving dinner, Matthew's heart is full. By full, I mean clogged. (laughs) (laughs) And and Matthew's our executive producer. Our producer, Jinx, is working hard in this little glass booth having lunch. Jinx, are you eating Thanksgiving leftovers? No, I'm eating leftovers from the meal you eat after you're tired of eating Thanksgiving leftovers. (laughs) (laughs) Our video director, John Myers, uh, is in his tech bunker. John's Christmas light display is so big. If you were floating up in space, you could still see his electric bill. (laughs) It it really is something. I mean, it looks like Disney World. And now that I don't go there anymore, I make a point to go by John's house. And Dr. George Bingham is the president of Key Life. And George thanks you for supporting Key Life. On Giving Tuesday this week. If it slipped past you, go to keylife.org, <laughs> Giving Tuesday. And Kathy Wyatt is the soft feminine side of the program. Every Christmas season, Kathy wonders if the wise men were so wise, why didn't they bring some diapers for baby Jesus and some chocolates? Uh, for Mary. <laughs> and Matthew, speaking of work, that last joke could use some more. <laughs> or didn't. Uh, we uh, have a great guest, and we like him a lot, Jordan Rayner. He, uh, before we turned on the cameras and the lights, Jordan said, I can't believe that you had me back. And we said, we can't believe that you came back. <laughs> There are some who can do it once, but that's it. No more. And Jordan is uh, willing to risk coming on this program again. In case you don't know, he's a serial entrepreneur and national best-selling author. He also serves as the executive chairman of Threshold 360. He's spoken at Harvard, South by Southwest, and a lot of other events worldwide. He has twice been selected as a Google Fellow and served in the White House under President George Bush. Jordan has released two new books, and we're going to talk about both of them today, which I hold in my nicotine-stained fingers. The first, the word before work, and then a wonderful children's book called The Creator in You. Jordan, 
I'm thankful for your bravery to come back. <laughs> I'm braving the risk of uh, of being roasted like the rest of the etc. Here with Steve Brown. You know, yeah, we work at it. Yeah. I've said, and I think that you really are God's man for our time in so many ways about the subject of work. All of us have been following the Twitter thing, uh, the fire that's going on there, and the employees who were required, required to work. And they started crying and leaving and saying really, really bad things about Musk. I think that's going on all over the country. Are you sensing that to the day when we saw work as a gift, when calloused hands were a good thing, when being tired was a good tired? It seems to me are no longer true. Uh, or am I just an old guy complaining? Well, you are that. You are no, that. <laughs> but also, you're onto something, Steve. And listen, this is a problem pre-pandemic, right? Gallup told us that something like 80% of the global workforce was disengaged from their work. They saw work as a meaningless means to an end. And that's only been exacerbated post-pandemic. You know, Twitter is just a case study, just happens to be the most high-profile case study yeah. in this regard. But this is an epidemic. And for Christ followers, the numbers aren't that different, which is a tragedy because when you look at God's word from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, you see that work is a central character in this narrative. Before God tells us that he's a God who preaches, a God who is holy, a God who's omnipotent, he tells us that he's a God who works. And the first commission to humankind in Genesis 1, 28 was to fill and subdue the earth, to work it, to make it more useful for other image bearers. And fast forward to the end of the story in Revelation 22, 5, contrary to this American caricature of heaven as a glorified retirement home, it's what we're going to be doing forever on a new earth. Revelation 22, 5 says we will reign forever and ever with Christ, which makes all the sense in the world because that's exactly how the story started. Well, if we're going to work in heaven, do we uh, do we still get weekends off? <laughs> oh, man, I don't know. I don't know what the PTO <laughs> policy is on the new earth, but I'm eager to find out. Well, and my question was going to be, you know, not so much about the weekends, because let's face it. I mean, nowadays, people don't really have weekends totally off anyway, because you've got email on your phone. I, I had an email from someone who wanted to book a lunch with Steve, and I received it on Thanksgiving Day. <laughs> on Thanksgiving Day, a person actually emailed and wanted to set it up. And I said, I'm sorry, we're we're not in the office today because it's a holiday, but I would I'll check on that for you on Monday. <laughs> but anyway, so my question is, what about what about holidays? I mean, are we gonna have Christmas off? I don't know. We're gonna, we're probably gonna find out. <laughs> but you know, one of one of my favorite yeah, I don't know. I, 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 I we got to think so, right? But here's the deal. Yeah, we it, there's this there's this common um, uh, understanding that heaven eternity is all going to be worship, and in a sense, that's true. We all will be worshiping Jesus the King forever and ever. The problem is our limited understanding of that word worship, 
right? Because in scripture, the exact same Hebrew word that we use to translate to worship, avodah, is also translated to mean work in Genesis 2 prior to the fall, right? Work was worship prior to the fall. And Isaiah 65 tells us that work is going to be perfect worship once again on the new earth. It's one of my favorite passages of scripture or this remarkable promise, especially if you hate your job today. Isaiah 65, beginning in verse 17, Isaiah says, see, I will create a new heavens and a new earth. My chosen people will build houses and dwell in them. No longer will they build houses and others live in them. As the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. God's word doesn't say that we're going to be singing, Lord, I lift your name on high forever and ever. Or reclining (laughs) in a hammock, eating Thanksgiving turkey forever and ever. We will long enjoy the worshipful work of our hands, all to the greater glory of God. Oh, man, that's so good. The Bible has a lot to say about rest, too, doesn't it? Oh. I mean, I don't want you to come over some ogre who is a workaholic <laughs> with a whip yelling at everybody to get off their butts and get out there and work uh, 24-7. That's not what you're talking about, is it? Not at all. And I actually think that the biblical narrative of work gives us a unique resource for both rest and ambition, right? Um, you know, th- there's this rhythm that God has designed. He's designed us to work in significant doses, six days, rest one. And actually, scripture says that there will be Sabbaths on the new earth for eternity, which implies that there's still going to be this rhythm of work mm-hmm. and rest for all of eternity. And I think the gospel gives us this unique resource to model that today, right? If you're a workaholic, as I once was, it was because at the end of the day, I wasn't trusting in Jesus for my functional salvation. With my mouth, I declared him as Lord, but functionally, I believed it was up to me to make things happen in my life, to make things happen for my family, frankly, to prove to the world that I was valuable. But Jesus said that he died for me when I was his enemy. And if that's true, I know he loves me equally on my most and my least productive day. That enables me to rest. That enables me to Sabbath and get eight hours of sleep a night, right? But paradoxically, it's also the thing that makes me wildly ambitious for the work I get to do. Not because I need to, but because I want to as an expression of worship to the God who saved me in spite of myself. Oh, man, that is so good. And guys, we're gonna uh, we're gonna talk about it during the rest of this program. And if you miss a bit of it, you're crazy. The book is the Word Before Work, and then a children's book that is just great. The Creator in you. If you're tired of going to work, so you can make enough money to pay the mortgage and have a bed where you can sleep, a house where you can eat. So you can go to work the next day and make enough money to pay the mortgage on the house, have enough to eat, and a place to sleep. You need this program. So don't touch the dial or the computer or you'll get the fever and you'll die.
Hi, this is Eric, producer of Steve Brown, etc. If you've been listening very long, you know I'm a struggling believer, and I'd love to share some things that have helped. At Key Life, we believe that the deepest message of the ministry of Jesus and the Bible is the radical grace of God for sinners and sufferers. And we have four mini books that'll help you believe that no matter what you've done or what you're going through, God's not mad at you. Feeling Guilty, Suffering, and Faith and Doubt by Steve Brown will help you apply healing biblical truth to where it hurts the most. And my mini book, The Gift of Addiction, How God Redeems Our Pain, shows that coming to the end of ourselves is actually the beginning of faith. These four mini books are in the Grace for Sinners and Sufferers mini book combo, and it's available at keylife.org for a suggested donation of $12. They're also individually available for a suggested donation of $4. Hey, we're glad you're with us. You're going to be glad, too, because we're talking to author and entrepreneur Jordan Rayner. And as I mentioned before, uh, Jordan gets, man, he is one of the most excited uh, guests we have. He really believes this stuff, and it changed his life, and he hasn't forgotten, and he keeps telling everybody, and that's a lot of people what happened to him, how it changed work in his view and how it changed him. But at any rate, he has two books out recently. One is called The Word Before Work, and it's a devotional and a different devotional. And the other is a children's book, and we're going to talk about that too later, called The Creator in You. Jordan, uh, it's great to talk to you again. Um, you occupy a really important space um, uh, of addressing how the gospel connects to our work life. Obviously, that's there's a relationship we have with it. And to use the phrase that a lot of us, <laughs> it's complicated and it's definitely complicated. So for nerds like me who love, love, love going to work and can't wait to get up in the morning, uh, it's it's it connects on an even deeper level. Um, so. I wonder if you talk to us a little bit about the book itself, yeah. uh, the word before work. Um, you're covering a lot of these same subjects and themes, but but it's actually a devotional, and you took a kind of an interesting approach to this. Tell us about that a little yeah. bit. Yeah, I did. So, you know, I, to my shock, nobody's ever written that I know of a devotional that's just for the work week, a Monday through Friday devotional for every Monday through Friday of the year. And this shocked me because I've been writing a weekly devotional for years about how the gospel should shape our work. And my readers kept asking for it. And I was like, surely somebody's written this. And 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 they didn't. So what I did, I did something unique for this project. So I had read scripture front to back a few times in my own personal quiet times. But this is the first time I read it cover to cover looking for only one thing. What does God's word have to say about our work? And not totally surprisingly, at least to me, I found more than a thousand passages uh, that directly talk about this topic. It's more than the passages that talk about worship or praise or musical worship combined all throughout scripture. It's crazy, right? Wow. And so what I did, I took those thousand passages and said, all right, we got 260 weekdays in the year. What are the 260 passages that are just the most helpful? 
to the modern day worker, not super theological, but can be used and read in two minutes, right? These these devotions are super short, two minutes just to help us get our minds straight before we walk into the front door of our offices or log on to Zoom every single day. So that's what this is. It's it, the Word Before Works, this Monday through Friday devotional to help people see the eternal purpose of their work every workday and then respond to that truth in some really practical, small ways every day. Mm. Good stuff. Mm. George? Yeah, Jordan, and uh, at the risk of asking you a specific, um, you know, specific. I, I mean, <laughs> uh, asking authors about, you know, what they wrote a year ago or yeah. something <laughs> like that can always be a little risky. But oh, yeah. uh, one, of the, one of the devotions early in your book that sort of stood out to me, you did a comparison with the first Adam, in the garden with the last Adam in the garden uh, of the tomb. And I thought that was a really unique insight and uh, ask if you could expand on that a little. Oh, I'd love to. This is one of my favorite underexplored insights in all of scripture. So there's this very familiar passage we read every single Easter in our churches. It's John chapter 20. And there we are told that upon seeing the resurrected Christ for the first time, Mary Magdalene didn't recognize Jesus, right? She mistook him for the gardener, right? We breeze past this seemingly insignificant detail. I'm like, all right, maybe it's just a coincidence because after all, Jesus rose in the garden of the tomb. So that's why she thought he was the gardener. And maybe that's true. But N.T. Wright, the great theologian, pointed me in this direction. He said, come on, Jordan. The God who created, you know, 17,000 species of butterflies is a bit more creative than this. I think John is alluding to something very deliberate. As you said, George, I think he's contrasting Jesus, who who some people call the last Adam, who Paul calls the last Adam here at the Garden of Tomb, with the first Adam in the Garden of Eden, right? So think about it. In the beginning, Genesis 1, Genesis 2, God inaugurates the first creation, but he doesn't finish it on his own, right? This is what the Creator and You Children's book is about that we're going to talk about in a few minutes. Instead, he put Adam in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it, to take the garden and rule it, subdue it, and fill it with heaven on earth, right? First, Adam screws up his rule, ensuring our need for a redeemer. Fast forward thousands of years, and here at the resurrection, God is inaugurating a whole new world, not the first creation, but the final creation, the eternal kingdom of God. And Jesus, the last Adam, is choosing, let's not mistake this, choosing to be mistaken as a gardener, I believe, as a symbolic way of saying that he is planting heaven on earth once again. And just as the first Adam in Genesis 1 had his bride Eve to help him cultivate the first creation, Jesus, the last Adam, has his bride, the church, to help him cultivate the final one. I, I know so many Christians who live their lives as if we're just in a holding pattern. We're just waiting for Jesus to return and drop heaven from the sky. And in a sense, that's true. One day, the new Jerusalem is going to come down from the sky and, and finish the consummated kingdom. But in the meantime, scripture is abundantly clear. You and I have work to do. We have not been saved to wait. We have been saved to work in a very specific kind of work of cultivating heaven on earth once again, of rolling up our sleeves in partnership with Jesus the gardener to make his kingdom a little bit more visible and a little bit more tangible in the present. 
And the guy can do that or lady if they're making widgets. Totally. So let's make this real practical, right? What is the kingdom of God? Jesus talked incessantly about the kingdom of God. There's lots of different marks of the consummated kingdom that we see throughout scripture, right? We know that the kingdom includes perfect relationships with people. Can you making widgets work hard to cultivate perfect relationships with people? Of course you can. We know that there is beauty on the new earth. The new Jerusalem has 5,600 miles of precious stones lining the base of the new Jerusalem. It's beautiful. Can you as an artist, a novelist create beauty that is allowing other people to give a glimpse of the kingdom. That sounds mysterious. And and listen, this is faith, right? Of course, it's a bit mysterious, but Jesus has called us to help him implement the kingdom. He could have brought the kingdom in full that first Easter Sunday, perfectly within his power to do so. There's a reason why he didn't, because he has commissioned you and I to the task of co-laboring, co-gardening the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Oh, man, that is so good. Listen, if you're bored with your job and you're waiting for Jesus to return or for you to join him in heaven and you're just hanging on, you've got to get this book. It's a great devotional designed specifically for you. It's called The Word Before Work, and the author has written a children's story. We'll talk about it, too. From Key Life comes two mini books, What Do You Do for a Living and Life After Retirement. What Do You Do for a Living by Justin Holcomb addresses the problem of defining ourselves by what we do and how we perform in our work instead of by who we know, a gracious, loving God who defines who we are. Life After Retirement by Steve Brown examines how those transitioning from work to retirement often experience a loss of purpose in life and how the quest for personal significance can best be answered by God's radical grace, love, and purpose for our lives sufficient to carry us through this transition. What do you do for a living and life after retirement can help guide people struggling with either work or retirement? These two Key Life mini books are available through keylife.org for a donation of $6. Thanks for being a part of this program. We're hanging out with uh, one of our favorite people, Jordan Rayner. And by the way, you can keep up uh, at jordanrayner.com and on Twitter at Jordan Rayner. Nice. Jordan, you, um, in, in addition to many other areas, and, and you've touched on a number of them, uh, you use the Great Commission as a jumping off point or an area of focus for um, devotionals associated with work. Can you talk a little bit about how that worked yeah. and why the focus there? 
Yeah, I'd be happy to. So this is a good uh, chance to talk about my most hated term in the world, uh, the term of full-time missionaries. This is a ridiculous <laughs> statement. Uh, I don't understand how it got into the church's vernacular. Here's the deal. If you're a follower of Christ, you're called to be a full-time missionary. The Great Commission is not optional. It's a command of every single believer. The words Jesus uses, go and make disciples of all nations. That Greek word for go, to get really nerdy for a second, is called an aorist tense passive participle. Basically, all that means is our translation of this verse is actually not great. A much better translation, most theologians argue, is as you are going make disciples the goings assumed jesus didn't go more than 200 miles away from his hometown and yet he's the greatest disciple maker of all time it wasn't about how far he went it was about what he did while he was going and the same is true for you and me you don't need to go on a short-term missions trip to make disciples of all nations you're called to make disciples of all nations at google at amazon at the local mechanic shop that you work at today that's where you're called to make disciples. The question is, in our increasingly post-Christian, quote-unquote, cultural context, how do we do this effectively at work, right? That's where the rubber meets the proverbial road. And real quickly, I'll just run down five things I see over and over again from people who are great at making disciples at work. Number one, be so good they can't ignore you. First Thessalonians 4, Paul says that we're called to win the respect of outsiders. Guess what? Mediocrity doesn't win the respect of anybody. Mastery does. So you want a platform to share the gospel in your place of work? Number one, be so good they can't ignore you. Number two, don't just be excellent. Be a friend, right? It's excellence and love. Be the person in your office who genuinely loves their coworkers and not just the product of their work. Number three, at some point, you got to identify yourself as a Christian. That old St. Francis of Assisi quote, preach the gospel when necessary, use words, is absurd. It's ridiculous. At some point, you have to use words. At some point, you have to say, hey, I had a great weekend. You had a great weekend? Oh, yeah, mine was amazing. I had this great time of worship at church. It could be as simple as that. Just looking for ways to raise your hand and say, I'm an apprentice of Jesus of Nazareth. Number four, Pray for God to open up doors to move from the surface to the serious to the spiritual with those you work with. Because Colossians 4 tells us we have no power to open up those doors. God's got to open them up for us, right? So we got to pray to that end. And then finally, number five, we got to be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for the hope that is within us. See 1 Peter 3 15. And we got to be prepared to have, you know, some of the answers to theological questions, but certainly not all of them. I think more importantly, we got to be prepared in the sense that we got to be willing to clear the decks on our calendar when somebody is ready to move from the surface to the serious, to the spiritual and have a real conversation about who Jesus is. So those are just five practical things I think all of us can be striving for today to make disciples of all nations in our own backyard. So um, uh, that's the commission from Jesus. And it's more important than making widgets, but making widgets is really important because it leads to the great commission. I like that, man. That is so good. In other words, when you go be who you are and don't hide it, and that includes kindness and love and compassion and uh, 
identifying who you are. Most people know their co-workers golf score and the beauty shop they attend without even having the foggiest idea where they go to church or if they do. Yeah. So occasionally bring it up. And yeah. then when that doesn't work, uh, smile, try not to be arrogant about it, but say, you're going to hell. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I don't want that to happen with you. So if you listen to me, I'll make you like me. And then you can be commissioned to tell other people that they're going to hell. And of course, <laughs> I'm being facetious about the attitude that some of us take. Um, Jordan, that is such good stuff. And it is so good for all of us, not only at work, but in our neighborhoods and every place where we go, because Jesus said, as you're going. Uh, as you're taking out the trash, mm-hmm. as you're making the widgets, mm-hmm. as you're playing with your kids at the community park, as you're at Chick-fil-A on a Saturday afternoon, make disciples of all nations. That's all of that is good, Jordan. But you don't know my coworkers. They're just the worst. <laughs> They're just, I can't even tell you. Yeah. yeah. And he's saying that just as an aside. He doesn't want you to tell anybody else. That. Yeah. That's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and personally, I'm offended on this one. <laughs> Guys, this is really hard work. Speaking of work, we, you know, to do this sort of thing is not easy. It takes preparation and gumption and really putting the muscle into it so we're going to get some cookies and milk and rest up and then like jesus we're coming back He was irritated when the electricity went out no television no music no netflix Then he discovered that the battery on his smartphone was dead. He decided to make some coffee, but when he went to the kitchen, he realized that without electricity, he couldn't even do that. Then he noticed his wife in the kitchen, and he sat down and talked to her. He said later, you know, she seemed like a very nice lady. I know, I know, technology's good, but sometimes... Go talk to somebody face-to-face. You might be surprised how nice and real they are. It's messy sometimes, but Jesus would like it. I'm Steve Brown. You think about that. Share what you just heard with a friend. Go to youthinkaboutthat.com. Hey, thanks for being with us. Hey, when you're busy getting presents for everyone else, do something nice for yourself and sign up for a Key Life Connection, our weekly email. It's free. And uh, let's be honest, at this time of the year, that's all any of us can afford. (laughs) So just go to keylife.org slash subscribe. And if you're just joining us, we're talking with Jordan Rayner. 
He's got a wonderful devotional book called The Word Before Work, and it's really different. Trust me on this. And uh, we've been talking about that. And now the giant segue to the kid's book, The Creator in You. Jordan, what on earth possessed you with everything that that you do and et cetera? I mean, we've talked with you so many times before in the past. What on earth made you want to write a kid's book? Yeah. You know, it's a great question. I'm not sure I wanted to write a kid's book in general. (laughs) I really wanted to write this one because I've got three young daughters and I've read them countless books of the creation account of Genesis one. And you've all read the books. They all follow the exact same pattern, right? Mm -hmm. God created this on day one, that on day two, day three, four, five, six, the end. And these books drive me freaking bonkers because we're bearing the lead of Genesis one. The sixth day wasn't the end of creation. It was just the beginning. It's when God passed the baton to us and said, hey, kids, I created this largely blank canvas. Fill the earth and subdue it. And I wanted a kid's book that made that clear with the most epic illustrations in the world, thanks to my illustrator, John Voss. So I wrote The Creator and You, which is essentially this like three-act drama that you can read through in less than three minutes. In Act 1, you see God created in those first six days like a lot of those other books. And then in Act 2, it says this. It says, and now you might think that our story is ending. But in fact, this is just the beginning because God made you to look like him, to act and work and create with him. Because while in six days, God created a lot. There are so many things that he simply did not like bridges and baseballs, sandcastles and s'mores. God asked us to create and fill the planet with more. And then the final act is just watching the kids respond to that truth and filling the earth with art and eventually as they get older businesses and tree forts and spaceships and culture right all throughout scripture starting here in genesis 1 we see that god has always wanted to work in this world through you and me it's what we saw with jesus the gardener right and i want my kids and the kids in the lives of our listeners to see this because i think when they do they're going to view their current work whether it's homework or chores or art projects around the house and their future careers with God-ordained purpose and joy. Oh, man. You know, (laughs) that reminds me of, uh, I had read the Steve Jobs uh, biography years ago, and somebody close to him when he was developing the iPad said, I can see how (laughs) this makes people better consumers. It's Mm -hmm. not really making people better creators. Mm -hmm. And it was such a stark contrast between the ideas of consuming and creating and they both have a place but it's it's not just a nice to have kind of thing to impart the importance of creating to kids they naturally kind of have it but it's something that needs to be fostered and given uh its due position yeah it needs to be cultivated right We're, we're in such a consumeristic culture i'm always thinking about how do i get my kids to consume less and create more. Why? One, because it's good for their brain, but two, because that's who God is. And I want my kids to be like, God is a creating God. And so we're always coming up with new innovative ways to get my kids to create more uh, around the house. Here's one, here's one tip that's working for us lately. If you want this for your kids, take advantage of your kids. um, Indescribable love of physical mail. 
right? So like my kids love sending and receiving stuff via USPS, right? And so if they're in a rut, I'm like, hey guys, do you want to mail a picture to one of your friends? Like, yeah, they lose their minds, right? Like a 40 whatever cent stamp and they're right at the art table. So take it or leave it, but it's working for my young kids right now. That's fantastic. They, uh, by, by the way, um, you, Jordan, there's a childlike quality about you that is uh, quite winsome. And I just thought I'd say that, but I'd be interested in, have, and I'm sure you have, that you've read this book and shared it with your children and probably with some others. Yeah. How do they connect with it? Yeah, man. So they, 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 they love it. They call it their book because their names are in it. Um, you know, what's been fun for me is just seeing the immediate impact of this book in the kids life, right? Our, our kids are getting so many um, messages from culture about how awesome they are how creative they are and very few messages about how awesome God is. And maybe the most practical response to this book is seeing them deflect glory away from themselves and to God, right? Cause previously when my kids would ace a test at school or build an Epic Lego set or color a beautiful picture, they'd be like, Oh man, I'm awesome. I'm creative. But when they see that, Oh no, hang on a second. God himself works. He is the true source of all creativity. It helps them ascribe credit where credit is due. Right. My five year old, she's now six. Uh, my five, six year old Kate. Now she'll frequently paint something or color something. And she won't say, look, look, dad, look how awesome my picture is. She'll say, look, dad, I'm creative because God's creative. That's mm -hmm. worship. Right. And that little six year old, that phrase, she's ascribing credit to the creator God. And it's just one of the practical things I think this this epic, inspiring picture book can do for kids. We only have about a minute left, but I, I, I have to, we can't wrap up without mentioning the artwork and it's just Gosh. marvelous. It feels like a, a Caldecott winner, a Caldecott medal stuff. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, sure. Oh man. I'm so glad you brought this up because um, I, in, in the, in the proposal for this book, I told my publisher, I was like, listen, I want this book to be like a Pixar movie. I want five-year-olds to pick it. Every time they sit down and look for a book, but I also want it to make 55 year olds weep. And the way that you do that is through the art. It can't be cartoony. It can't be cute. It's got to be art that people want to take and frame and put in their house. And my partner in this project, John Voss, knocked it clear out of the park to that in fact, I actually have the artwork hanging up in my office right now. We have readers who keep asking to buy prints of this book. It's not cute. This is a book that adults are giving to other adults. This is a book that adults are giving to their college and high school graduates. And yes, their little kids who are still mm -hmm. within the house and still learning about who God is and his creative character. Hmm. Jordan, thank you. Uh for spending some time with us. You're fun to be around. My I gotta pleasure. admit, I'm a little bit tired. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to spend a whole day with you. An hour's about enough. That's man. wise. And at my age, I gotta have a nap after I That's wise. Yes. You're filled with energy and joy and reality, and it shows in your writing and your life. Thanks so much for being with us. Let's do it again. Oh man, I'd love to. Thank you guys. Thanks. Hey guys, we're going to come back uh, shortly. 
And uh, we're going to tell you who we're going to do it unto next week. And you're going to be plumb amazed. Hi, this is Eric, producer of Steve Brown, etc. If you've been listening very long, you know I'm a struggling believer. And I'd love to share some things that have helped. At Key Life, we believe that the deepest message of the ministry of Jesus and the Bible is the radical grace of God for sinners and sufferers. And we have four mini books that'll help you believe that no matter what you've done or what you're going through, God's not mad at you. Feeling Guilty, Suffering, and Faith and Doubt by Steve Brown will help you apply healing biblical truth to where it hurts the most. And my mini book, The Gift of Addiction, How God Redeems Our Pain, shows that coming to the end of ourselves is actually the beginning of faith. These four mini books are in the Grace for Sinners and Sufferers mini book combo, and it's available at keylife.org for a suggested donation of $12. They're also individually available for a suggested donation of $4. What a great hour. Uh, Jordan is a delight. He really is, and he's fun, and we love having him on. And by the way, just so you know, he's the real deal. And uh, I'm glad for him, especially in our culture. Something, unless you're an idiot, uh, you know something's bent, something's wrong. And uh, and it's dark, and it's uh, and it's scary. And it's destructive. And a part of that has to do, well, it has to do with some very important things. But a part of that is the whole idea about work and pleasure in work and creating and living our lives in a way that provides creativity for those we love and those we associate with us. Uh, George Gilder wrote a book on economics a number of years ago, and he made that the center of it. Uh, That book couldn't even be published today because it's just not where we are. And so, guys, uh, the pagans have screwed it up. So it's up to us uh, to live out the kinds of things that Jordan was talking about today to live our life in its fullest, to be authentic, to be real, uh, to work, to be excellent, to create questions in people. Because as Jordan said, that's what we're here for. Uh, We're here for them. And the best place you can do that is the place where you spend your time. And the place where you spend your time is where you work, whether you're a mother or a teacher or a garbage collector, or a widget creator. That's the place where God has called you, and that's the place where if you'll let him, he'll use you in some surprising and amazing ways. He does, you know. Kathy, who's going to be on next week? What's a widget? I don't know. I don't have any idea. I've just heard it used so often. Okay. Well, good. It fits with a thingamajig. Yes. <laughs> Next week, Richard Foster. 
And this book is titled Learning Humility, A Year of Searching for a Vanishing Virtue. Richard Foster, by the way, is one of my heroes. Yep. Uh, Wrote a great book on prayer, among other things. And he wrote a book on disciplines, Christian disciplines, that was a life changer for me. So that's going to be a great, great hour. Hope you'll join us uh, next week. We're going to be here, same time, same place. And it's our hope that you're going to be here, same time, same place. And between now and then, don't do anything we wouldn't. That gives you a wide, wide berth.